You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Well, I assume you are in Mark 1 by now. Uh, And we are going to be starting in verse 21. So feel free to follow along with me. The words will be on the screen as well. Um, If you need a Bible, just another thing. There are Bibles in the back, so feel free to head back there and grab one. Um, Verse 21, then, sorry, they came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were sick Sorry, all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogue and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The word of the Lord. So some of you noticed that I probably, or some of you probably noticed that I read some of the same passage that Graham taught from last week. Uh, the reason I re- reread this, and we will cover it a little bit, not in the depth that Graham went to, but most scholars agree that this entire passage from verse 21 all the way to the end of the chapter with what we read is actually one 24-hour period of Jesus's life. And so for those of you that remember, 
you know, the WWJD bracelets from the 90s. This, this is what he did. And so, uh, you know, if, you want, if you're wanting to be like Jesus and do what he did, this is a great flyover to kind of see what a, a day in the life of Jesus actually looked like. And so that's kind of what our sermon is, and that's what will be on the screen is a day in the life. Uh, and so we're going to look at what Jesus did, how, how Jesus taught, how Jesus healed, how Jesus cleansed, how Jesus prayed. And so excited to, to share with you this morning. We do have a lot of ground to cover, so just hold on. <laughs> Uh, so Jesus on the Sabbath is this guest teacher at this local synagogue in Capernaum. And on Sabbath, everyone is amazed at the authority that Jesus has spoken with. The religious leaders of the day would have, would have stood on the shoulders of those who had gone before them. So if you've had the opportunity to actually listen to some Jewish teaching, which some of you may have, I've had the opportunity to listen to a little bit, not a ton, one of the things that you'll constantly see in the way that they teach and the way that they present is nobody stands on their own authority or their own teaching. It's always rabbi, rabbi so-and-so says this and rabbi so-and-so says that. And so if you pay attention as you read and study the gospels, you can actually notice that this is actually the way that Jesus ends up being questioned. Because when they come to Jesus, they say, well, what do you say the greatest commandment is? Because in that day, there was different teachers that would focus on different things. Well, truth is the main thing because you need to have everything airtight when it comes to your theology. Well, no, it's not really about your theology. It's about how you care for and love people. You know, because if the action isn't flowing out, then there's no, it doesn't really matter if you're right. So there was these common threads, very similar to what we experience today. They just had a fancier ways of, of going about it than we do. Uh, and so they, would, they came to Jesus and they said, what do you say the greatest commandment is? Or if you take a, a step back and you look in, at the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus' magnum opus, you know, this, this amazing text, which I can't recommend highly enough. I read it probably at least three times a month just to fill my own soul and to, to allow it to speak into my life, which it's from Matthew 5 through 7. Constantly, Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, or I tell you. So Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What he's doing there is he's not saying, hey, Rabbi, Rabbi Joe Smith is good. And this is what he says. He's saying, this is what the intention is. This is the beauty and the simplicity and what it, the, the message is actually about. There was a confidence and a clarity about the way that he taught, a purity and a simplicity, if you will. And I think it's important for us this morning to realize that Jesus was a teacher because, and he was known as a rabbi. You know, not once do we ever see Jesus being like, no, I don't want to be a rabbi. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to have this thing. He never once is trying to correct or step away from that role or that responsibility. And I bring this up because many in our day want to keep Jesus from being exactly that. Jesus can be God. Jesus can be my savior, but he, I don't want him to be my teacher. 
Because if he's a teacher, he's actually going to tell me what needs to change in my life. You can die on the cross for my sins, but don't touch my life. And I would be the first person to say, if that's really what's going on in your heart, I would say, man, there's a major gap in your, your thinking. And I would warn you about where you stand in that moment. Jesus was a teacher. And I believe there's reasons why we fight this idea of him being a teacher. First, there's the idea that culturally that church, it really isn't essential. It's not needed. You know, in the current national, you know, church in the West in the United States, church attendance has gone majorly down in the last five years. You know, especially since COVID hit. There's been a massive exodus out of the church for a variety of reasons, political, you know, all this different stuff that has definitely flown in. And there's this mindset that is, well, I can be saved or I can have a relationship with Jesus and not be a part of the church. And to just paint a very clear picture of that, I had a friend at one point in my, you know, in my young married life and I, and I, wish I could remember the name specifically, but not that I would say it here, but <laughs> I remember we were talking one time and he was like, man, I just love you and I love hanging out with you, but man, I can't stand your wife. And I was like, well, this is not going to go well. <laughs> and as you can see, I'm still married and I'm not friends with that person anymore. That's kind of the same mentality though when we have that attitude where it's like, I'm going to trash the church but say, I love Jesus. Any of, anyone that's married knows that you really can't, anyone that's in a, in a good, healthy relationship with their spouse knows that no one can walk in and trash the spouse and stay in good graces with their friend. But we try to do this in our faith a lot of the time. So there's this idea of where people are questioning this idea of church and they're questioning whether it's needed at all. And they've made church more of going out and talking over drinks with a friend or a play date with another believer at a park or just you joining an online chat community where you listen to a Bible study. But church is the gathering of God's people together to worship Jesus, to encourage one another, to come to the Lord's table, to take communion together as the family of God. And I want to be someone that... that, that points this out. I believe that something beautiful and supernatural happens at church when we are together. I believe that the Spirit does do something special and honors when we are together as God's people. And Jesus on the Sabbath, he's not hanging out in these random fields. He's in he's right there with God's people studying God's word together teaching God's word. And so there's, there's this strong point I want to make that church, I believe, is essential. God does call us to gather together as a fellowship of believers. The next reason I think we struggle with this idea of him being a teacher is this we, reality is we struggle with authority. To be a teacher means you have an authority, a role, and in my opinion, a great responsibility is being a teacher, not just a Bible teacher. I'd say teachers that teach in the public school system, you carry an incredible weight because you are shaping and 
enacting and, and, and helping young minds be shaped. To be a teacher means you have an authority. And Jesus was that. He was a teacher. He was known for his miracles. But honestly, he was more known for his teaching because his teaching was with authority. They say it later on in, in the passage that we read that, man, when he, he, who is this man? They're like, the spirits obey, but they say a new teaching has come. And he teaches with such authority. In our day, this idea of authority is one that we fight against, maybe not physically, but in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits, saying that we won't submit ourselves to anyone or anything because that really is the place of vulnerability. To submit ourselves to an authority is a humbling thing. To be in a place of receiving. And, and this morning, I hope that we are actually in that place. Not sitting necessarily looking for error or if you agree or not with what I'm saying, but sitting expecting for Jesus to speak into your life, into your story, to meet with you. That's why we're here this morning, to worship him and to have him interact with us at a soul level. And so as Jesus was in the synagogue, as he's teaching, this man stands up and he cries out, what do you want to do with us, Jesus? I know who you are. I know you're the Holy One of God. And first of all, Satan's and demons and spiritual powers, I want to just acknowledge, they are real. And in that day, it was something of an epidemic because, and people experienced these kinds of things in a very common way. So exorcism was a common practice in that day and age. And I would be the first person to state that I believe demon possession is alive and well here in the West. I think when you look at some of the, the things that are affecting our cities and our communities and the people of our nation, there is spiritual effects and, and factors that are playing in a, in a very real way. You look at the role that mental illness is trashing people. You look at people that are in the homeless community and they're medicating themselves with alcohol and drugs because there's something broken and so they're tormented. One of my favorite things to do when I was, when I was a youth pastor was taking my youth group kids, which were these privileged, you know, suburb kids, and I would say, we're going to the city, and I would take them into these places and then we would go in and there were shut-ins and there were drug addicts and there were people with AIDS. There was all kinds of different stuff. And I loved it. I loved walking in with the kids and talking with these people. Because the kids would all of a sudden realize this person has a story. I remember one time I'm talking with this guy and I'm just asking him about his life as he's sharing a meal with us. And the one thing they tell you when you're, when you're setting out to do this, and they're like, just don't go in their bedrooms. And this guy's like, hey, you want to come in? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And the kids are like, oh, God, no. <laughs> and so we walk into this room. There's a guy passed out on the floor. He's got a needle hanging out of his arm. And I'm sitting on this guy's bed, and we're talking. And it was me and one other kid, because we're just kind of checking out this thing to see if I'm going to bring more kids to it. And they're like mortified. And so I'm talking to him about his story and we're sharing his meal and he starts talking about being this college basketball player and he shares this story and 
gets down on his luck and gets hooked into drugs and you know, makes some bad choices and ends up where he's at. And the, one of the kids is like, wait, who did you play for? And I can't remember the team, but he starts talking. He's like, oh my gosh, I know who you are. I watched you play in the final four. And it all of a sudden opened this kid's eyes. That success, that all these things, all you can hit all the marks and life can flip in a moment. Satan and demons are real and they absolutely have an effect. And they absolutely are alive and well. And may we look at those that are struggling with mental illness and those that are struggling with addiction and different things and not just have, not in this weird way of like, ooh, we need to like, you know, do some weird exorcism type thing. But, but may we approach them with love and grace and a heart that, that prays for them. And so as this, this man is standing up to Jesus, he's saying, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Because in that day and age, there was this belief that if you knew the spiritual rank you were dealing with, you could have some sort of advantage, which obviously that's not really the case because Jesus just looks at the man and says, be quiet. You know, or another translation or a way we could translate it is shut up and come out of him. And the man shakes violently, the spirit leaves, and everyone's amazed. He has this new teaching. He's got this authority. Even the spirits listen to him. And in like that, all of a sudden, everyone in Galilee hears about this rabbi, this man, this teacher, this, this one, Jesus. And so the thing that we say, the first thing that we see in this, in this text is that Jesus taught. And when he taught, he faced opposition. The next thing that we see, which will be on the screen, is that Jesus heals immediately after finishing up teaching and casting out this, this de the demon out of this man. They go to Simon, you know, a.k.a. Peter's house, and they get there and they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law is really sick. She's got a fever. And so in the Middle East at that time, if you got a fever, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a significant deal. It was a, there was a good chance that you wouldn't make it if you had a fever. They didn't have running water. They didn't have Advil. They didn't have the medical stuff that we have today. But they immediately bring Jesus to Simon, or sorry, they immediately brought Jesus to Simon's mother-in-law and he takes her hand and the fever leaves her and she gets up and begins to serve them. And more people hear about who this Jesus. And then that evening after sunset, the entire town has gathered at the door of this family. Bringing people who are possessed by demons, crippled, sick. And Jesus spends the evening healing all these people. And what many of us don't realize is that Jesus actually wants to do a powerful work in your life right now, here today. Jesus wasn't just offering a great financial plan or how to become a more patient spouse or parent or a security for the afterlife. Jesus wasn't just offering like hell insurance. He was meeting their actual needs right where they're at, healing their sickness, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind. I believe Jesus wants to meet us right where we are at this morning. But the thing is, 
we need to be willing to bring ourselves and our loved ones to him. Another scripture that, I'll, I, that should be on the screen is from Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus in Luke's gospel proclaims why he came. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So the poor finally have good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to those that are enslaved, those that are prisoners, to give recovery of sight for the blind, so to set the oppressed free. Jesus is changing the landscape. This was not a small claim. Jesus wasn't just showing up saying, I'm going to give you a really great social club where you guys can like get together and you're going to have Bible studies and you're going to have all these churches all over the world. No, Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to lift up the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten, the unwanted. If we think about this moment and this story, you know, just picture it in your mind's eye. You walk up to this house where you see this crowd of people and you're like, man, that's crazy. But the crowd of people isn't just like really successful, normal people. It's like crippled people, sick people, people that are demon possessed. Like it's a, it's a pretty wild group outside of this house. And then there's this man that's healing and touching and praying and loving on these people. And so in this 24-hour period, things are going incredibly fast. Jesus teaches, he casts out a demon, he goes to the house, he heals this woman, then all of a sudden everybody's there, he heals all these people, and boom, it's time to sleep. So Jesus sleeps. The next thing that we see is we see that early the next morning that Jesus prays, Jesus has been up most of the night healing people and casting out demons. And he goes out to the solitary place alone and prays early in the morning. And he gets up before there is activity in the day. It's still dark. It takes time and takes time to be with the Father. And I, I question and I think about how beneficial it would be if each of us would start our mornings this way. I try personally to have this rhythm a little bit in my, my life. I would wish I could stand before and be like, every morning, 5 a.m., I'm there with my candle and my coffee and just praying and letting the scriptures illuminate my life. But it's realistically like maybe two to three times a week. And it's, it's not that magical. <laughs> uh, but Jesus goes out to the solitary place to be alone and prays early in the morning. I try personally to have this rhythm a few times a week to get up early to pray, to read and journal. And the thing that I would, I would highly recommend it for you and why I think there is something special about doing it in the morning. I read at night as well. But the morning is, it, for me, it puts my everything into perspective for the day. I feel connected to God. I don't go from moment to moment feeling rushed with meetings and responsibilities and all these different things. You know, and I how much I, I do, I believe we would do better if we could get in a rhythm of spending time with God in the morning. And this is where we find Jesus, alone, praying, communing with the Father. And this is how he recharges and how he is able to continue on. 
And the disciples show up and they say, Jesus, where have you been? Where are you? What are you doing? You're blowing up. You're trending. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone wants to see you. And Jesus' response is amazing. He's like, no, let's go somewhere else. I don't really want to be here. That's not what I'm after. Let's go to to the nearby villages so I can preach there also because this is why I have come. Jesus wasn't about the crowd. He wasn't about the popularity. That wasn't what it was about. If anything, we see that Jesus is turning and pushing people away as he's doing his ministry. Jesus wasn't the insecure, you know, teenager, you know, that is trying to say, love me, follow me, be with me, that we kind of make him a lot of times in church. Jesus was an authority saying, I have the way of life. You have to be willing to submit and to follow. I have a message that, that needs to be shared with others. And what prepared him for his work was this time of praying. And you'll notice as you study the Gospels that Jesus is regularly found by, off by himself. Or he sends the disciples off further on a mission and he takes time to be by himself. To Sabbath, to rest to commune with God. Because God isn't after your activity. He isn't after how many books you read or Bible verses you know or projects you've helped with or ways that you serve. God simply wants you. When I asked Kylie to marry me, I didn't ask her to marry me because I was like, man, we are going to be financially, we are going to dominate or, oh man, we are going to have such great kids. And we do, we have great kids. I asked my wife to marry me because I wanted her. And I just wanted to be with her. May you hear that this morning. Whether you're married or not, you understand what it means to be wanted. And you know what it, it's like to be wanted. Jesus wants you, but we have to be willing to create space in our lives for him to be a part of, so that we can sense and feel that want. And our last thing that we see that will be on the screen is that, that Jesus cleanses. While traveling to the next town to, to preach and to teach, a man with leprosy comes up to Jesus And now this in of itself is pretty crazy and it's kind of intense. In Jewish law, if you had contracted leprosy, you were banished. You weren't allowed, you had to live outside of city limits, you know. Leprosy was this disease or is this disease that is still around today, you know. And it's nowhere nowhere near as common as it was in Jesus' day, but... When someone contracted leprosy, it would start with them getting these sores on their skins. And a lot of times, it was usually their face. They would, it was not one that you could kind of hide and like cover up. But they would slowly become looking less and less human and actually look more and more like a monster with all, all these sores and open wounds all over their hands and their face. And their body would become covered with these lesions. And eventually their fingers and their toes would fall off as well. A lot of times what would happen is it's a nerve disorder and, and you stop feeling. So with open-toed shoes and things, you'd catch your toe 
while walking and it would break your toe and your skin being so uh, compromised they would literally rip fingers and rip toes off until the point that they would die the craziest thing about this disease is that it was a 10 year usually you would live for 10 years with this disease it was incredibly brutal physically but it also had tremendous social issues that would come because of it as well. Because this disease was seen as incredibly contagious. And for Jews specifically, if you contracted leprosy, you were, you were kicked out of the city. And you were, you were seen as unclean. So you were unable to come into the temple to worship God because of this sickness. You were not only banished from your family, from your friends, from your community, but from your faith ultimately. You were completely put in isolation. Honestly, when I think of COVID and the, when, the way that COVID affected our nation and world, when I talk to people when, they, when COVID was at its peak, the thing that everyone wrestled with, and you know, we just recently had a bout with COVID, is it is incredibly isolating. People struggle because they feel so alone and they're so isolated. And so if you had leprosy in that day and age, you were supposed to, by law, when you would come within 50 feet of a Jewish citizen, you would have to scream out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, which I can't imagine being the, 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 hum, the humiliation that would bring. This would be incredibly isolating. Think about those words, I'm unclean. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. By law, you're required to cry these things out. But this man comes right up to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I've heard about you. I know who you are. And it says that Jesus is indignant. So he's stern and he's on the verge of like frustration. And he reaches out his hand and touches this man not frustrated with this man but frustrated with where this guy's at that he's alone and however long this man had leprosy you know is probably however how long since he's had human contact the fact that jesus reaches out and touches this man is a miracle in of itself because as jesus touches him he is extending and making himself able to be to catch this disease but he's not afraid one commentator i read talking about this or a theologian commenting on this he said that what jesus is doing in this moment would have been similar to like you deciding to share a needle with someone that tested positive for hiv or aids like it carries this significant weight in this moment. And in our minds, if you're like me, you're like, that's crazy. But that's what Jesus is doing. So Jesus not only just speaks, he doesn't just speak a word over this man or pray from a distance for this man, but he reaches out and he touches him and he says, be cleansed and the man's leprosy is gone. But notice, the thing that's important about this, this isn't just a healing, this is a cleansing. 
Jesus in this moment provides healing, but he provides so much more. He gives him a new identity. He was seen by everyone in his community as unclean. He himself knew himself as unclean, unable to worship God with his people. But now God himself has reached out and put his hand on him and, and said, I'm willing to clean you. I'm willing to heal you. I'm willing to make you whole where people would turn in disgust and fear and judgment, God himself reached out willingly and transformed this one individual's life. And he did. He gave this man a new life, a new story, a transformed life. Think about that. Having the words spoken over you, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Or maybe like this man, just, just a simple touch. To be hugged and embraced, to be seen for who you are. The thing I love about the book of Mark is it's just action-packed feels really weird to say, but it is. It's just full of a lot. It's not just about the right theology. It's not just right about the right action. But we see Jesus meeting people where they're at. And church, I believe Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. And I think Jesus wants to use you to meet others where they're at. And so I want to do something a little different this morning. And so I'm going to ask everyone to set down your phones or your Bibles or your notebooks. And just allow yourself to just be in this moment. And I want to ask you to close your eyes. Maybe you're in a place in your life that you need Jesus's touch. For whatever reason. Maybe you carry wounds from your past. Maybe you carry shame and guilt. But really the only weight I have for you, or the only uh, prompt I have for you is that I want to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you if you feel like you need Jesus' touch in your life in this moment. Thank you for your courage. Because I do believe Jesus wants to touch your, your heart. I do believe Jesus wants to touch your story and meet you in a very real way. For some of you, maybe you feel unclean from your past and what you've done or what you've said or who you've been. And you just feel that in your spirit. I need to be cleansed. I need to be made whole. I need to be given a new story. Just like this man.
And so Jesus, I thank you that you see each one of these hands this morning and these hearts. I thank you for the faith and the courage for those that, that had the, the faith to raise their hands physically. And Lord, I, I thank you that you see the heart. Lord, that you see those that have raised their hands deep in their hearts. And I pray that you would show up and meet with each person this morning, those that need it. And so, Jesus, may we not hold back our worries and our cares, but may we bring ourselves fully to you, our needs, our cares, all of ourselves to you. And I love that you're a God that's not far off sitting checking to see if we make mistakes or are in error, but you are a God who is intricately involved in the lives and the cares of your people. You care about our pain. You care about our emotions. You care about our souls, our jobs, our children, our stress. Because you love your people. And so, Jesus, I do, I I pray that you would do a good and beautiful work in the hearts of your people this morning. May you make us more like you as we look at who you are and what you've done. Jesus, may you do good and beautiful things in the lives of your people. And so, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you see us and that you know us. May you transform us and may we be a community that is not just people that are just studying your word or people that are just doing generous and good things, but may we be a people that are shaped by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to open the table up for, for you to come and receive communion this morning.